Take your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verses 4 through 10 this morning, or page 954 in our Bibles. Could someone talk you out of your faith in Christ? If somebody got to know you well and you were good friends and they were personable and they were smart, do you think there's anything they could talk you out of that you currently believe from the Scriptures? Over the years, I've sometimes been saddened that... uh, People who professed to uh, believe in the authority of Scripture and uh, Christian established doctrines from the Scripture, faith in Christ, have uh, somehow over the years lost their confidence in what the Scripture says. And what we're studying today in Colossians 2 is Paul addressing that kind of issue in the early church, a particular church, the church of Colossae, in A.D. 60, approximately. And so let's read these verses from 4 through 10. Uh, The context goes back to what we studied last week in, in verse 3. It's about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if indeed all wisdom and knowledge kind of filters down to us through the person of Christ in Scripture. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live or walk, you may have, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Clearly, Paul was concerned they would fall prey to deception. Then, as now, there are so many ideas out in our world that are directly contradictory to that which our scripture teaches So there can be fine-sounding or persuasive and plausible, seemingly reasonable things that uh, someone will develop and, 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 and it'll be in direct contradiction. In 2014, some of you may have uh, watched or followed or heard of the uh, debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh, Ken Ham is the, uh, director of Answers in Genesis, where we actually get our uh, Sunday school curriculum. Uh, And he was debating the view of biblical creation and uh, against Bill Nye, uh, uh, who who had a smart guy, seemingly nice guy, and who 
really does understand well the evolutionary viewpoint. But to believe what he believed and presented, Bill Nye that is, would be to toss out our scriptures. The theory of evolution is an example of something that is taught widely by good people. Presented in our public schools and universities. But the assumption is that there is no eternal, omnipotent God who could do such a thing as create by the word of his mouth. The assumption is that the Bible is not historically true. And thus, there could not be a personal, literal creation in six days. Which only an eternal, omnipotent God could do. Now, Paul wasn't battling evolution here clearly because 2,000 years ago, no one had conceived of the idea that something could come to nothing, come from nothing. Uh, unthinkable, really, then, and Darwinian thought was, is actually new historically to our society. But I tell you this because there are going to be these kind of ideas. I tell you this so no one deceives you, Paul said. Now, the way Paul says it, though, in verse 5, you can tell that he... He is writing as a preventive. It doesn't seem that anything catastrophic has happened from the false teachers at this point because he says, I'm not there. I'm with you in spirit, but I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So this is affirmation. He's saying, I have heard that you are very clear about what you believe about Jesus Christ. So why would he have this warning if you think back to a previous city to, or, or area to which he wrote, he wrote to the, to the region of Galatia probably about 10 years before this. Probably the first book that Paul wrote, actually. And to them, he wrote Galatians 1.6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. So there is something Doctrinally tragic had already happened and they were abandoning their understanding of grace through Jesus Christ. So Paul knew it could happen just as it happened there. I'm very grateful to be a part of Open Door where we are not uh, debating if the Bible is true or not. Uh, we're not debating if the Bible is, is reliable or if it's relevant. We are convinced it is. Uh, as a church board, we have been working on a new document, a core values document we want to eventually post on the church website. Uh, we already have, of course, a, a doctrinal statement, uh, but this is more about uh, how we think and how we function. Yet we, we, we start it with a statement. This is a rough draft, but we start it with a statement that is doctrinal, and this is the statement Core value number one, we believe the Bible is God's inerrant, meaning it doesn't have mistakes, God doesn't lie. Inerrant word, we teach God's word as fully authoritative, seeking at all age levels to promote Bible knowledge and apply it to daily life. This is, this is what we are about. That's what we're here for today. I don't expect to be standing in this spot regularly, say, 30 years from now. <laughs> but... Uh, my deepest desire is that whoever is standing here on a regular basis will be as convinced as our leadership team is right now in the authority of the word of God. Because everything else flows from that confidence. And so he compliments them and says, I see how orderly and firm you are in your faith in Christ. This orderly and firm uh, 
these are these are terms taken from the military world, actually, army life of the day. And it really does make sense because the reason an army can be strong is because there is a clear line of authority. That's what we are depending on, that we have a clear line of authority from God, and that is what gives us our confidence. And specifically, he says, our faith, your faith in Christ is. So core to the core doctrines is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? He is the centerpiece of our doctrine. Old Testament leading up to Christ, everything since leading back and looking back at Christ, he is the core doctrine. Because if Jesus were not God, as the Bible shows us, then he is not the way to salvation. And everything else will crumble if that is not true. This past week, a classmate of mine from uh, both Bible college and seminary years uh, posted on Facebook a cartoon sketch from our perspective, actually, um, from 100 years ago. Actually, it's 1922, almost 100 years ago. Reflecting what was happening in their world at that time. Uh, The descent of the modernists. Now, modernists uh, was a way that uh, Bible-believing Christians would refer to those who were part of the uh, leadership of seminaries and church denominations who were seeking to incorporate scientific truth with the scripture. Guess which one had to give? This is the descent of what happens when you do that. So you go from biblical Christianity to the Bible is not infallible. It's a good book, but it's not like inerrant or infallible. And and so then it changes your view of man being made in God's image because if he evolved then he's not made in God's image. And, and so then there's no miracles and there's no virgin birth crucial to your understanding who Christ is. No deity, therefore. No atonement. The cross doesn't do anything. No resurrection. That's impossible. It's just a myth. And then agnosticism, which would be, you know, we aren't sure about really anything, to atheism, where someone claims at least to be sure there is no God. And so there is a... Now, whether that's the exact order that the steps should be in is, is, is it may be up to debate. But there will be a dissent if you drop your understanding of the authority of God's Word and what's going to fall is the nature of your understanding of Christ. And so because of the departure of so many seminaries and church denominations from the biblical doctrines... Guess what happened? Many people left and formed other churches, church denominations, and seminaries. So uh, Moody Bible Institute or Dallas Theological Seminary or others were really formed out of what was uh, the, the modernist fundamentalism controversy, as it was called. And so there was this effort to decide, now what is it, what are the core doctrines that we cannot compromise? And in 1910, a conference of Bible-believing scholars was convened to establish what are the fundamentals of our faith. What are the fundamentals? Um, The term fundamental or fundamentalism was once a good term. Now it's got some pretty bad connotations because people think of people with rifles or terrorists or something. But uh, our our church is actually part of an organization called... Originally, it was called the Independent Fundamental Churches of America. It grew out of this understanding. And these are the fundamentals that this, this, this uh, team of scholars uh, laid down. They're very good. Five of them. Number one, guess what? The inspiration of the Bible truly is the Word of God. 
Number two, the virgin birth of Christ. You cannot sacrifice that without sacrificing the nature of Christ and thus what he did, the atoning work of Christ for our sin, that it was the cross and the cross alone that pays for our sin, not good works. The bodily resurrection of Christ, because if he didn't really rise, then his death was of no value. And finally, the historical reality of Christ's miracles and thus God's miraculous work anywhere. So the, the first one was about the authority of Scripture. All, all the other four had to do with the person of Christ. If you wanted to, to, to pare down the most essential doctrines, these are, are those. Those were dividing issues in the early 1900s. They were the dividing issues, the issues of the authority of, of God and his word and Christ in A.D. 60 and Colossians. Guess what? They still are. And so if we're going to stay on track spiritually, we will find ourselves different, distinct, unique, separated from even religious or church organizations with crosses if they do not hold to these fundamentals of the faith. So he says, but I'm, right now you're not, you're not in, you're in danger. You're always in danger, but you're not failing. I affirm how orderly, how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, verse 6, <clears throat> just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, past tense, continue to live in him, rooted and built up and strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thanksgiving. So he says, keep a clear view of where you started as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, referring to when the people of Colossae had come to faith in Christ. By the way, it's probably only about five, six, seven at the most years before Paul wrote this letter. So they're a rather young church. That's about when uh, Epaphras, chapter 1, verse 9, could have heard the gospel because Paul had spent that time in Ephesus, about 100 miles away, and we assume that's how the church got started in Colossae because Paul never went there. And so if it started then, and this is like six years later, he says, he says, just keep in your memory how you started and keep going like that. You embraced who Christ was, so keep walking. The term literally is walk in him. In other words, you took that initial step here when you put your faith in Christ. I trust in Christ and his death and resurrection. He says, now just keep walking. Stay on track with the truth you were originally taught. If you think of it, it's the only thing that makes sense. Because if you can trust in the word of God and the person of Christ about the biggest issue, where you will spend eternity. If you have put your faith in that core truth. Why can't you trust everything else the scripture says? Why wouldn't you? The saddest, most illogical thought would be that we would trust in Christ for our eternal life. And the scripture is the only way we know that. And then we wouldn't believe other things that the Bible teaches. Because it's on the same basis of authority. If, Jesus, if you trust in, in these truths to save you, why can't you trust in the word of God to answer every other question that the Bible addresses? And so we should expect that, that we can understand life, the world, answer questions, because of that. Because now he gives four verbs that describe this continuing walk. Rooted in him, continue, um, 
built up in him, strengthened, and then overflowing with thankfulness. Let's think through those. Rooted in him. Uh, you, that's where you started. You were rooted in him. The picture metaphor is of a plant. If you, if you can picture that you have a, uh, a raspberry plant in the corner of your garden, you can be rather certain that you wake up in the morning, it's not going to be in the other corner of the garden. Because you knew that it was there, it was planted, it was rooted, and so it's not like, oh, honey, it's over there today. That is the security we have. So we should be thinking of our faith with that kind of a sense of permanence. Yes, I know my sins are forgiven. My status with God has changed. I was an enemy of God. Now I'm a friend of God because of my faith in Christ. Uh, I have been adopted into God's family. I'm not an outsider anymore. I have been joined to the body of Christ. My status in heaven had once uh, recorded my sins, if you will. Now my sins are erased. Or as Paul said, my citizenship is in heaven. And so many other truths that have completely changed. You were rooted in him. And so now you are built up in him. Rooted is past tense and and built up in him has a present sense. The metaphor changes. The metaphor now, it goes from the plant life to construction world. You are, it's, it's really it's, it's how you put a building together. You're built up in him. Did anybody notice today or, or this week recently they're building a house, a new house down here at the corner of LL and KK? I've been kind of watching that as I go by at, at uh, coming to work and Dug a foundation. That's when I started figuring out what they're, what are they doing? Oh, they're building a house and foundations there. And this week, semi came by and dropped off all the, all the trusses and all the lumber. It's all there in a big stack. I'm going to make a prediction. They're going to finish building that house. I think they will. I, I'm, I'm fairly confident they're going to finish building that house because when you do all of that work, you keep it up until it's done. Christ is at work building you spiritually. And he must not be done because we're still here. And so we have this confidence about being built up in Christ. Paul wrote to the Philippians, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We are all incomplete. Let's acknowledge that. There's something that God is still trying to complete in us. There are, there are unfinished issues that he's addressing. But at the same time, we can be confident that he who began working is still going to do it. And so we can have the confidence that whatever is going on in our life is part of that construction process. Whatever season you are in, whatever you are facing, whatever blessing, whatever struggle or trial, it is something God is using for a good purpose. To build you up in Christ. And it's also a, a, a passive voice uh, uh, verb that Paul uses in Colossians. That he is doing the building. We have to give him permission, if you will, because he does not violate our will. But that is what he is seeking to do. Third one, established or strengthened in the faith as you were taught. 
This has to do with stability. You are made stable in the faith you were taught. This is stability that depends on truth, not feelings. Now, we all have both. We all have feelings, emotions, doubts. That's that's real part of, of humanity. But alongside that, there is actual truth. This is what is actual. And so he says, we need to be strengthened in our faith as we were taught, so that our emotions do not guide our convictions of the truth, but rather our convictions of truth become that which stabilize our emotions. So continue, stay on track with the truth as you were taught. For the Colossians, it was Epaphras who probably started the church. That's probably who he's referring to. Another time when he wrote a letter to an individual, he was writing to Timothy. He said the same thing about individual Christians. But as for you, meaning Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. This is a personal thing because we know from Second uh, Timothy 1, five. He has already said who you learned it from. He learned it from his mother and his grandmother. They're named there, Eunice and Lois. They are, uh, he was, he was a part of a, of a spiritually divided family. His dad was a, was a Gentile or a pagan, evidently an unbeliever, but his mom and grandma are the ones who, what? Led him to faith in Christ. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As Pastor Nate was reading in our call to worship today, do we see how the Word of God takes root from early on? So whether you hear it like, like the Colossians did in their adult life from a guy named Epaphras, or whether you heard it as you grew up, it's the same truth that you rely on. And there is nothing more powerful, it seems, than to have a, a dad, a mom, a grandma, a grandpa who is your teacher, who is your biblical proof of the truths of Scripture to share convictions together as a family. I know many of you didn't have that. And if you didn't, you should be so honored that God is starting with you that you now can be that impact. You now can be the one that influences people around you uh, in your family. But the role of spiritual leader and example who believe in the truth of God, whether, whether you're a teacher or not, you are a teacher in your home. And you will have that influence by what you believe. And, and so make sure that you do that as parents. Uh, Speaking truth with grace. And later on in the application part of Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 when he talks to, to kids and, and dads specifically, you think about this, it's, it's about truth and grace. So when I think about our church 10, 20, 30 years from now, staying on true, staying on track, do you know what we need? Nothing new. Nothing new. There will be new ways God's at work. There will be new ways things will look that the core needs to be nothing new. And for you to stay on track personally, you may, it may be sticking with what your parents taught. You don't want something new. There will be, be new ideas you'll be introduced to that will be attractive or distracting. You will go through, if you're a young person, you will go through expected times, normal times of doubt. That's part of growing up where you embrace and decide what you 
believe. And you will be in, 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 in science classes and college philosophy classes where you will be introduced to good people, some with very sincere motives, and much of what they will communicate will be things that you really do need in training for uh, your mind and your career. But you, as an individual believer, will need to have the discernment to know if something you are hearing is going to undermine your confidence in the Word of God or the person of Jesus Christ. And you want to stay on track. But know this. God's at work building you, and He will never give up building. I'm confident He will keep growing you, building you up. He has too much invested in you. If you're a believer, young or old, He has too much invested in you. He invested His Son in you. He will not give up on your spiritual progress. The final fourth verse, a uh, fourth verb in this verse is overflowing with thankfulness. Now, this is like a, it almost like it doesn't fit. Rooted, built, strengthened. These are all terms that are on the truth side of things. This is on the attitude side. Why did Paul add that one? Remember, Paul is in prison writing this. Somewhere in the two-year imprisonment in Rome, which actually you tack that on to how long he has been, how long since he'd been arrested. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea. So he could be going on four years where he doesn't know what God is doing because here he's supposed to be having this impact around the world and he's spending up to four of his years, prime years, stuck in prison. If anyone could have a better attitude, it'd be him. That's why he's so qualified to say and overflowing with thankfulness because if we are bitter about our circumstances, it will choke out our appreciation of truth. Things will still be true, but it'll choke it out. Our attitude will impact our convictions eventually. Think about a day that you were really discouraged. Think about a day when you would admit you had a really bad attitude. How long ago was it? I'm just kidding. How long? <laughs> um, on that day, I'll bet you were not focused on the person of Christ or on gratitude for what he's done for you. Those are incompatible issues. But on those bad or discouraging days, all the truths of Jesus Christ were still in place. Your salvation was secure. Your sins were forgiven. You were still a child of God. You were loved unconditionally. So how could you have such a bad day if all those things were true? You simply weren't focused on the things that were true. And we weren't grateful. So how will we turn that around? Because this overflowing with thankfulness, that is something we control. We are, we are responsible. We, we can choose our attitude. So will we be grateful? Let me just give you a little bit of a running start on how to think thankfully. And the term thankfulness is, is actually connected to the word grace. So you're, you're really thinking about God, how God has shown you his grace one might be listing, you might want to do this, actually literally write, write these five things down or, or, or get your own list of, I just give, this is just a, a sample. He has given us complete forgiveness of past sins. His love is unconditional. You might even want to just <clears throat> write them down. What is it 
that he has fully forgiven you for. Because otherwise we're going to have all these other competing thoughts. Alongside that, God probably has given you some people who love you unconditionally. Who are some of those that you are grateful for? There are maybe people who have taught you God's word. You've had a mentor in your life. They, it's that mom or that dad or teacher. You have realized that there are certain gifts or abilities God has given you. In fact, those are called in the New Testament graces. By the grace given to me, he has given you these gifts or graces. In other words, God has a future and a plan for how he wants to use you. You should be honest and say, here are some struggles that are teaching me to depend upon him. Because this is part of how he is growing us by his grace. When Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh, talked about your grace is sufficient for me, your power is made perfect in weakness. So we need all of that, and, and your list can go on and on. We should be overflowing with thankfulness because it reinforces, that attitude will reinforce our convictions in the truth. We need an injection of gratitude. Paul repeats his concern about false teaching in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He's been Christ-focused consistently. Hollow and deceptive. In, in, uh, in verse 4, he described these uh, false teaching uh, ideas as impressive. Another way to describe them is that they're empty. They're empty ideas. They, they promise something without substance. Uh, the word philosophy is probably not a particular philosophy. It's the general word for ideas. That's just what they call them, philosophies, some of which could be true or false. But these are false because they're hollow and they're deceptive. They aren't really true. How much do you believe commercials? What's your confidence level if, if it says this is the best car, the best perfume, the best online store? I mean, you know, that, they got to say that, right? How confident are you in political commercials? Aren't you glad to be in 2020 again? We can start political commercials. That's so fun. No. We are, we are, I mean, I, I believe you're, 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 you're a discerning audience, so I, I, I would assume that they are putting those commercials out there for some narrow band of naive people who actually say, really, it's that amazing? I'll go buy it. Or he's that awful? I'll vote for the other guy or something. So that's, but the the idea of commercials is that you can say something hollow and deceptive and somebody's going to bite on it. There's more at stake when it comes to truth. It's not just profit or politics. It is the truth of the word of God. And there's something far more dangerous and diabolical, and that is that Satan himself, the enemy of our flesh, the enemy of God, is behind, ultimately, all falsehood contradictory to Scripture. Satan blinds our minds, 2 Corinthians 4. 4. So can you discern truth and error? There's two terms used here in verse uh, 8 to, I think, describe that the two basic sources of falsehoods. One is human tradition. So a man-oriented idea. Somebody thought it up or someone's propagating something that somebody else thought up. 
maybe maliciously, maybe innocently, but it's a, it's a man-made idea or tradition. And the second is what's called these elemental or basic principles uh, we'll talk about. But So human tradition can be actually a religious tradition as well because uh, we can all see how things that are in the religious world, church world, can become set in stone and now a man-made idea has entered into what maybe even started as more biblical, but now it's in concrete and it's it's man-made. Be aware of religious traditions that are not based in the truth of God's word. And then realize that some things are, are, are even, you could say, worse because they are more directly from, it seems to refer to, Satan. This term, elemental or basic principles, some of you in your Bible translations, it talks about spirits or it could be principles. And the word is used both ways. Um, it's a pretty rare word, and, but I wouldn't be surprised in this context that Paul really is referring to the spirit world having an impact on what we believe. Religious superstition. So if the first might be religious tradition, this is religious superstition because there was a prevailing idea that day that material objects you see in the sky, the moon and the stars and the sun, that there are spiritual elements, that they're somehow empowered by spiritual beings. Who would believe something like that? Yet we have today astrology where there is this thought that somehow uh, what happens in the alignment of the stars is determining or predicting uh, human events. Astrology, another, another prevalent idea that would be similar to much of the pagan backgrounds of that day would be animism. That other, what we know to be inanimate objects, trees, rivers, um, mountains, are somehow uh, spiritual Inhabited by spirit beings. And that's not just a a Disney kind of a thing. That is actually what our missionaries that go to primitive tribal areas are battling. Because there is this, within the heart of of, of mankind, this desire to know what's out there. they, They know there is something besides the physical. And so there is this connection so many times. In fact, every tribal primitive group has something of this where there is this paganism, this, this occult uh, contact with spirits. It terrifies the people. There are anthropologists, the prevailing view of anthropologists in the secular world is, leave these cultures alone. They study cultures. Leave them alone, and here's the line, they're happy the way they are. Well, we know from missionaries from our church and others that as they get to know the language and the culture and the people, they are not happy the way they are. They are terrified of the spirits who control their lives, keep them impoverished, and keep them resistant to the gospel, which is why we must pray for our missionaries in those settings that the light of the gospel will break through that spiritual darkness with truth. And so I wouldn't doubt that that is the concept here that these elemental spirits he said so whether the 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 origin is from from just man's wrong dumb ideas or whether the idea is coming from the spirit world of of falseness and paganism whatever it is it's coming from something other than what verse 8 christ christ and here's what we know he's reviewing verse 9 and 10 for in christ 
All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What more do you want? There is no clearer statement of the, uh, the deity of Christ that Jesus Christ, who was on our earth, died on the cross, rose again, was actually fully God in human form. That's, what, that's been his argument from chapter 1, verse 15, and, and all through the whole first chapter, is who Christ is. So he says, when you're battling false ideas, you have to go back to the truth about the person of Jesus Christ. Because if he was not who he says he was, he could not pay for our sins, could not be our Savior. And so all these ideas are hollow, they're, they're empty. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then this is, this is an incredible statement, verse 10. And you have been given fullness in Christ. This is not saying that we are deity or that we are God. But he is fully God. And you have that, you have full access to who he is. Because you are in Christ. You are connected to Christ. You are in the body of Christ. Or chapter 1 verse 28, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So you are so vitally connected to Christ, so you have access to the, the power and the person and the truth of Christ. So as, as you, as you face falsehoods and teaching, it says avoid anything that is not taught by Jesus or by the, this, the apostles commissioned by Jesus or the New Testament that reveals Jesus to us. You have everything you need. Don't be fooled by an idea, an article, a book, a movement, a belief system that in any way diminishes the person of Christ because all the fullness of the deity rests in Christ and you have access to that. And he, Christ, is the head over every power and authority. These terms power and authority are actually the same terms as found in chapter 1, verse 16, where we see that Jesus Christ, as the creator God, created all things, including the spirit world. And so if this is is the context of this spiritual battle of, of ideas that Satan and his demonic forces are propagating, then indeed we need to know that Christ has complete authority and control over all spiritual beings. Satan's key tools are falsehood and fear. Falsehood and fear. This is focused on on the truth factor, the, the falsehood issues. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus and the truths of our salvation. But alongside that is where our confidence comes versus our fears. Again, doubts are normal. Everybody's going to think through and question something at some point. And you begin to ask the what ifs. I mean, what if, what if the Bible isn't really true? What if, what if Jesus was really just a, a man, a good man, but what if I'm really not saved by grace through faith alone? What if? And you know what comes in? It's fears. Here's what we can know for sure. When we're facing fears about truth, it didn't come from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 Paul told Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Confidence comes from God. Fear comes from someplace else. And Christ has full authority over all else. He is the the fullness of the deity. And we have the full access to who he is. So how do you stay 
on track spiritually. Nothing new. Stay in the truths as we have been taught from the Word of God and wherever we have heard the truth of the Word of God. Growing up on, uh, as a farm kid in Kansas, one of my main jobs and summer memories is plowing. After the harvest of, uh, in Kansas uh, in June, uh, much of July and August would find me, uh, the youngest, sitting on a tractor doing the simplest of jobs, uh, which is plowing. This was, uh, this isn't actually me, but uh, we had Case, not John Deere. But uh, that's, that's basically the, the, the era that I was in. And, and a simple plow and a simple task, and really all you had to do to guide that tractor is keep that right front wheel in the furrow about this deep, and then the plow kicks it over and you go around the field and you go around the field until it's all done. They thought even Sydney could do that. So as a middle schooler, that's, that's what I did during uh, July and August a lot of those weeks. You could tell where you were going because you had the furrow right there. You could, you could look like he's looking or you could look back at the plow to make sure everything's working back there. And you can just feel it with your, with your hand because that furrow is so, so firm. You can just feel your wheel right there. We have been given something that is so firm. We have the Word of God describing the truths that lead to Christ, that center on Christ, that look back to Christ. He says, if you're going to stay on Christ, abandon anything that's deceptive that comes from man, that comes from Satan, anything that's not on Christ, because that's the only way we stay on track. Let's pray together, and then we're going to celebrate that core issue, what Christ did for us on the cross, as we share communion together. Father in heaven, we are rejoicing in the person of Christ and what you have accomplished by sending him to us, your eternal son in human form, bearing the penalty of our sin, paying for it, and then proving it. As you rose from the dead, we rejoice in those truths Pray for any who has not placed their faith personally in what you have done for us, that we would, that that person would uh, understand the complete sufficiency of the cross, place their faith in you, and then all of us who have put our faith in Christ, that we would walk in Him, rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing with thankfulness. In Jesus' name, Amen.